Hello, Popcorn Junkies. We're reviewing Bullet Train, the new film from David Leach. Did you know David Leach, the director of Deadpool 2, the uncredited director of John Wick and Atomic Blonde director 2, uh, is a stuntman or was a stuntman. So one thing you would expect from Bullet Train is for every single fight scene to be tip top, out the top draw with every conceivable considered shot, hit, chop, whack that you could possibly ever hope to see. Bullet Train is the Brad Pitt vehicle, literally, a fast moving train in Japan. Uh, it's a, basically the grab for this is, it's a, it's a sort of comic, whip smart comedy uh, set on a bullet train in which a numerous assassins, though our main sort of focal point is Brad Pitt, uh, a number of assassins are pursuing a suitcase or a briefcase and this belongs or is in some way connected to the White Death, who's the ultimate villain in this, who's essentially at the end of the line. Um, and all of these assassins are basically after the same thing and they're trying to outdo each other, kill each other, outkill each other, re-kill each other and generally just destroy each other as much as possible on a fast moving train. Now fast moving train films are a great genre. There was Runaway Train with John Voight back in the 80s. Um, there's Strangers on a Train. I thought that was a brilliant film. Um, there's of course Train to Busan which is one of my most fantastically favourite sort of train films in which horror, action and unexpectedness just managed to be portrayed on a within the claustrophobic space of a train so brilliantly. Obviously there's films like Murder on the Orient Express and stuff like that and in a weird way this is like Murder on the Orient Express on acid with a few mushrooms thrown in followed by banging on an enormous uh, reefer of some sort and then downing 45 lychee martinis. It's slick, it's swift, it's hip, it's Japanese. It starts with Brad Pitt talking to his handler on the phone and the handler is none other than Sandra Bullock. Uh, she's giving him a mission. The mission, although the mission is quite sort of convoluted and involves lots of kind of sidebars off to different characters, Mexican characters, Mexican cartels, Japanese cartels, I mean, it heads off in so many different directions. Um, essentially, you know, it all pivots around them all on a train trying to get the same item or the same thing. They're all hunting the same thing. And so really it's one of those films which has a vast number of characters and it's a sort of slow release of those characters that, that kind of gets this film going. Um, first up are two characters who are probably two of the key characters alongside Brad Pitt, probably the two main characters, uh, Tangerine and Lemon are their character names or their code names, Tangerine and Lemon, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry, the latter of which we all know from Atlanta and the Eternals, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's been in so many films. Did he play Lennon? I think he might play John Lennon. Um, and they, they played the most unlikeliest of twins. Brian Tyree, Tyree Henry's black, Aaron Taylor Johnson's white, but they're twins and this is accepted. Um, and so they have a sort of buddy kind of connection. They have a sibling kind of connection. My problem with, with the Aaron Taylor Johnson character from the outset was he sounded and looked incredibly like a modern day version of Eric Idle. Uh, from the Monty Python group. He's just a very naughty little boy. I mean, he looked like him. I kept expecting sort of high-pitched voices to come out of his mouth at certain points. Uh, and I also think that they made a huge mistake giving Brian Tyree Henry, an American actor, an English accent that he commandeered successfully quite for quite a considerable part of the film. But when it wavered in those longer monologues, it really wavered. Um, Brian Tyree Henry's character is characterised by the fact that he judges people or he partitions and sections people or defines people into types, but those types are based upon the certain type of engine personalities from Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, and so he has this sort of motif where he puts stickers on people. Are you a Diesel? Are you a Rupert? Are you a Thomas? All that kind of stuff. You get the idea. And I think in a weird way, the way I was banging on about that sticker idea is one of my issues with this film. 
There's a lot of nifty ideas in there. In this, there's a lot of whip smart sort of scenes. There's a lot of crisply edited sequences. Uh, there's a lot of kind of, you know, good sort of ensemble work and, 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 and rapid fire sort of dialogue. But this is a film that whenever it hits upon something it thinks is good, it goes on and on and on about it and it rinses it to death. So for example, one good example is in the trailer, which got me and Nadia very excited about seeing this film. There's a brilliant scene where Brian Tyree Henry and Brad Pitt are on a train. Brad Pitt's got the case, pretending he's got a gun. They're in the site, they're in the quiet carriage. Funny scene. And in the trailer, it's really swift. It lasts about 25 seconds. Shh. Laptop goes down, crashes his hand, mustn't scream. Woman in the carriage. Shh. In the film, that's twice as long, if not three times as long. And they go through the same process of the woman saying shh each time. And so really what could have been a funny gag if it had just been tightened down to the length it was in the trailer, just becomes baggy and windy and just flatulent really by the, by the time it's finished its scene in the film. And that's the case for so many scenes in this. It has a motif of sort of, as soon as you get to know a new character in Japanese letters, Japanese letters will fly up on screen, there'll be a freeze frame, you'll get the title of them, and then you'll kind of be given a backstory, and so you get an origin story of where they came from. And I have to say, this should have been quite good. I mean, stylistically, it looks good. I mean, if you were to freeze frame the film at any point, you'd be like, wow, that's a stimulating shot, sure. But in a weird way, a film such as Everything Everywhere All at Once shows you how to cut away from your ongoing narrative to many countless other narratives or other sidebar stories. And it does it so niftily and swiftly and stylistically gets back into the main story. This film kind of, you literally go off at a tangent and then you come back crushing through the door of the train. And it just, it didn't really mesh together. Ostensibly over, overarching the entire film is this malevolent sense of the white death, or the white death, which is going to be the, the ultimate villain. And that's played by Michael Shannon, who, who does emerge at the end of the film. And they have this device in the film where they essentially say, oh, there are going to be 16 stops. Uh, and when it stops at each, sta each station, it's going to be stopped for a minute. And in a weird way, this kind of structure was kind of the narrative structure of the script. I wouldn't be at all surprised if on the actual script they put station one, and then they wrote the scenes, and then station two, minute. And so at every single station, they would play the one minute jeopardy of are you getting on, are you getting off? Is someone being thrown off, thrown off all the time? Lots of subsidiary characters get killed, get poisoned, get gotted, get assassinated. Um, there's a particular, I thought Logan Lerman was one of the characters. He plays the son, actually, of uh, the White Death, and he's poisoned. And there is quite a funny extended scene as a sidebar of uh, a Mexican uh, family, the Mexican family being um, poisoned and then vomiting and then bleeding out of their eyes. It's, it's visceral. I mean, there's some real kind of blood and guts in this. Um, and it tries to, it strikes at that sort of Tarantino comedy sort of violence. But I tell you what, I tell you what one of the main problems with this film is. The train. The problem is the train. You're trapped on a train. And one of the bigger problems with this train is it's such a silent train. So it doesn't really move. So every scene is almost lacks, totally lacks atmosphere. You've got no sense of the outside world. So there's almost like an empty hum. But they don't exploit that. They don't turn that to their advantage. It's just empty. There aren't many characters on the train. They do say at one point that every ticket on the train has been bought by the villain, so that everyone on the train is essentially there for a reason, including a rather fabulous cameo from Channing Tatum. Though even the, even the cameo from Channing Tatum wasn't as funny as his cameo in Free Guy. Uh, you know, he was playing this kind of, you know, he's a bit of a sort of dorky kind of passenger and he's sort of, he's, he's approached by Brad Pitt and he wonders whether this is a sex thing and, oh, it's not a sex thing, okay. It was kind of, kind of funny, but not funny enough, not funny enough. But the train, I, I have to say, I think the train, the environment and the setting of the train managed to somehow hoover atmosphere out of a lot of the dramatic scenes. So in that sense, the fight scenes became really limited. And for saying that essentially the director is a stuntman, 
Deadpool 2, John Wick and all that kind of stuff, you'd think he should have commanded those scenes much more successfully. It was, there was a lot of obvious kind of ninja sword play. There was a lot of obvious sort of trapping of fingers in things and holding of guns and sort of trying to stab with a knife. And there wasn't much, there wasn't much in the way of invention. Brad Pitt, let's talk about Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was funny. And I have to say, I think he's come a long way since Burn This, where I thought he was really overreaching for, for natural comedy bones that I just didn't feel he had. I think he he's by far the most avuncular and warmest and most enjoyable aspect of the film, I think. Thank God Brad Pitt's in it. You feel, in, you, feel, you feel comfortable when you're around him, but the problem with him is even there was a scene where he was kind of playing with a Japanese toilet. And there are some really obvious kind of dated jokes about the Japanese being polite and I thought you're supposed to bow. I think they were trying to be meta and kind of a bit sort of counterintuitive, but they, they didn't really work. But there's one scene where he's playing with a kind of Japanese toilet, you know, being hair dried and then blow dried and then washing his hands and washing his face. And it just didn't work. It went on. It went on and on and on forever. There was the smart ass young woman called Prince, played by Joey King. Didn't like her performance either. I thought she was too smug. And in a, in a weird way, as soon as you park someone who's meant to be innocent, think of the, you know, sort of uh, Uma Thurman, sort of Kill Bill, the innocent sort of ninja warrior, if you like. As soon as you have someone on a train who sat there all prim and proper and pretending they're really innocent and fake, well, you know that they're not. She clearly isn't. I found her quite annoying. Uh, I thought she lacked layers. I thought it was unbelievable that none of the other characters would have seen past her or round her. As I say, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, I think he overdid it. He was so one-dimensional. He... I mean, you know, he, he in his suit and Eric idling it and his accent was a bit too kind of, you know what I mean, governor, I don't know why you're saying it and all that kind of stuff. And Brian Tyree Henry, I think Brian Tyree Henry was good, but I just kept feeling his accent just drifting away at times. And again, they would rinse the gags that he had. There were some unbelievable technical details. I mean, I know these, these, these are really pedantic, but when Aaron Taylor Johnson is outside the train at one point and punches, punches the windscreen of a bullet train and manages to break through, I don't somehow find that believable. Otherwise, if a bullet train hit a goose, flying goose, it would break through, wouldn't it? I mean, there are a couple of moments where they are you're outside the train. And when you're outside the train, because it's moving so fast and it's clearly CGI'd and it's a bullet train, you've got no atmosphere there. There was no sense of danger even about falling out of the train. So there was none of that inside, outside the train problem. The script thinks it was, the, the script just thought it was way, way, way more smart than it was. It thought it was whip smart. It thought it was crisp. It thought it was clever. It wasn't, it, it, it couldn't really afford to feel as smug as it did about its conceit and what it was up to. I think if Brad Pitt wasn't the star, this would have been, you know, this would have disappeared. Zazie Beats turns up at one point, you know, she, she was great. She was good. She was sort of, you know, you could see some actors had come into this. Ryan Reynolds is, is in there for a very brief cameo, as I say, Channing Tatum. There's a couple of actors in there with small parts, really relishing the idea of kind of being sort of, you know, odd and weird and extreme. And Zazie Beats is, but even her scene was quite obviously dealt with. It wasn't sort of innovative, it wasn't creative or anything like that. Michael Shannon, even he, I felt, could have been let go a bit further. I mean, admittedly, what happens to his face at the end is quite remarkable. But I just felt that there could, there could have been, we needed Ryan Reynolds lines we needed free guy lines we needed there were so many sort of pregnant pauses and moments where you needed a really really sharp finishing comic line just to finish off a scene or fill a moment or whatever and they, they just weren't there in fact the limitations of the set the limitations of the train the sterility of the train that's what i'm looking for it was sterile the train was a sterile environment so every time you came to different characters on the train you felt they were like they were on a different train there was no real sense of the length of the train and something happening up one end of the train and something else happening down the other end of the train and so it very much felt like it was shot in a modular fashion it was also structured in a modular fashion due to this sort of 16 stations with one minute at each stop so it felt very sort of 
it was almost like painting by numbers. It was like action film by numbers. I mean, you've got to you've got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, they give a backstory. They give an origin story to a bottle of mineral water. I kid you not. They give it the same Japanese name. Uh, you see it in various stages through the film. They they bring it up to date. You know, there are there there were some great ideas. I think this film desperately needed to be cut down by about twenty five. Well possibly 35 to 40 minutes. It was striving for Tarantino-esque. It didn't quite get there. It was striving for Deadpool 2. Didn't quite get there. Brad Pitt was... I think Brad Pitt's ability to be funny would have been amplified if he'd had an ensemble cast that was as funny, if not maybe a bit funnier than him, so that he could have played it a little bit straighter, perhaps. Didn't really... Throughout it, didn't really... I mean, you know, all the characters in this, um, you sort of feel that all the characters, yeah, they're not meant to be likeable. They're all assassins. But even in their psychopathy... You sort of you didn't really care for any of them and so you you know when you saw them entering fights and you thought well they could die here you kind of just sat back and went okay well which one of you is going to die here um and there were, even in that there weren't any massive surprises there weren't any really massive surprises and there weren't, wasn't really any gallows humor even in the blood and the gore and all of that i thought they could have had more fun with that right at the end you get a bit of sandra bullock sandra bullock looking bizarre like an avatar of herself she looked like a cgi construct of herself she was there but she wasn't there. It's the most bizarre experience. It's one of the creepiest experiences I've ever seen is watching Sandra Bullock at the end of this film. This is a project that arrives late at the station, misses its stop, all the rest of it. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, this had high ambitions to be a whip-smart, fast-moving, clever, inventive action flick. Nothing inventive. The action was leaden and predictable. The location, I mean, it's called Bullet Train, the very thing that makes this different, in a sense, sucked all the atmosphere out of it so it became a sort of i mean that sound is almost like what the film's like with a few moments that happen within it i think the problem with the film is you didn't really care about the villain and you didn't really care about them surviving and they were all sort of cocky and smug and sort of you know yeah yeah aren't we aren't we cool aren't we clever and none of them really seemed to care about dying and as soon as no one really cares about dying you don't really care about them surviving as a viewer. Do you get me? So if I was to score this, I would give this film a 45 out of 100. For more film and family fun, don't forget to click the subscribe button and make sure to click the bell to never miss an update.